Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome back to the Heine House Gaming and Tech Podcast. I'm your good friend, Jay Hine, checking in with you. Guess what? Intro. Yeah. yeah welcome yeah. to the Heine House Gaming and Tech oh, Podcast, welcome. a talk show centered around retro and modern gaming, gaming and technology. technology. Yes. The Heine House Gaming and Tech Podcast is available on Spotify, yeah. Apple, yeah. or wherever else you, you listen, listen to podcasts. podcasts. To watch the video feed from this episode video. or join the community Discord, get in there. Visit HeineHouse.com. Yeah, don't don't mess around. Get your ass in there. Get your ass in Discord. Get on my website. Oh yeah, HeineHouse.com. What up, y'all? Welcome back to the podcast. Good to see y'all. Thanks for being here. This episode number seventy-seven, recording February thirteenth, twenty twenty-one. It is exactly. 10 o'clock a.m. on the dot. Boom. We're rocking it. I, I was up at 6 this morning, 6 a.m. Um, a lot of my mind, unable to sleep, being very creative, having a lot of uh, uh, a lot of projects in store that I'm working on. I'll talk about those in just a moment with, with my quick update before we get into the show. But uh, yeah, so I've been up for a while, feeling good. I got my coffee with my fresh Heine House mug. Look at this thing. Hey, check them out. They're on sale in uh, the merch store. So go on into uh, you know heinehouse.com if you want a, a nice mug. This thing is good, makes a great gift, sits good on the table. And also, let's just have a sip together. Cheers, everyone. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's French toast coffee, baby. French toast. It's feeling good. No, no syrup needed. Uh, and if you're watching the video feed, which I really encourage you to do so, I know a lot of people. Majority of people listen to it on the audio podcast, but I also do a video feed, just so you know if there's some new listeners who may not know. YouTube, it's on my youtube.com slash the Heine House. Go check it out because you are now seeing something I reported about um, in November. I talked about it in November. I placed an order. I spent a lot of money on this. I spent $80 on this thing. I could not be more happy that I did that still because look at this. Folks, this is a Windows XP Christmas ugly sweater. I'm showing you right now. Come on. Come on. Look at the back. I, I know what you're thinking. Okay, that's pretty dope, Jay. That's pretty dope. I know. I know. Uh, I love it. I think it's fantastic. So I'm going to wear it the whole episode. How about that? Uh, they do that. I think Microsoft does that every holiday. And it's on their website. I think they did Microsoft Paint last year. And before that was Windows 98, I believe. And then this year was... Or was this last year? I don't remember. It was uh, Windows XP, but very, very cool. Love it. Makes you want to just go, dun, 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 dun. I don't have a soundboard for that. But I do have the... Uh, what? Hey, no, where is it? Bruh. No, where the fuck is it? What's wrong with you? Hold on. I've got it in here. Where's my error? I got an error code. Where is this? Uh, I don't know what the fuck I'm reading. No, that's not... <laughs> where the Stop fuck it. is it? No, that's not it. Dude, I have fucking... Oof? <gasps> no. I don't know where it is. Becky, let me smash. Let me smash, please. I don't remember where it is. I have an error message number, but I can't figure. What? I can't figure out where it is. Um, uh, is that it? No. Um, so anyway, let me. T- <laughs> what the fuck was I talking about? Oh yeah, the Christmas sweater. Yeah, they're great. So check them out every every holiday around Microsoft's uh, uh, on their website around the holiday time. They they'll be releasing these. They're pretty. They're pretty fantastic. Um, hey. Before we get into the episode, though, of course, a big round of applause and shout out to the amazing, awesome supporters here on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you. Patreon.com slash Jason Heine. That's where you go. 
We're welcoming Timmy G in the place to be. Thank you, Tim. Another round of applause to you, sir. Getting on that main floor. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Uh, and Timmy also, uh, he purchased the physical CD bundle on my website in the merch store, heinyhouse.com. Yes, you did. It is a, uh, a, it's a hell of a deal, in fact. It's 50 bucks. It gives you, gets you all of my physical CDs, including the 2014 mixtape on the exclusive USB drive that I have a few. Actually, that's limited. The Horizon Shift physical is limited. There's some limited stuff in there. So thank you. So you should be actually getting this either today or on Monday. So uh, thank you, Tim. I appreciate you. Thank you for your support. Thanks to all of the supporters here. Ground Floor, Main Floor, Game Lofters. Y'all are amazing. Hey, Game Lofters, I got something that's coming your way real soon. We'll talk about that in just a second. So check your emails. Check your Patreons. All right. Much love to y'all. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Uh, let's just jump in. I have a couple of random updates about me and my life here before we jump into the episode. First of all, um, I let two weeks pass because... Uh, the memoir took so much time, in fact, and I, I have been literally working on it for months. And then the last about two weeks leading up to the episode, I was spending about four or five hours a day editing video. And I just had to take a break and step away a little bit from the podcast. So that's why we didn't have one last week. And I got to say, the memoir was fantastic. I'm so glad to have released it and everyone's been watching it. And I've been talking to many of you and Y'all, your feedback has been just incredible, and I'm really, really humbled and happy uh, that you took the time uh, to watch it. And it's, you know, about my life, and it's very, uh, you know, it's it's a bit scary. It's, you know, very exposing, but it's it's refreshing and freeing, and I felt really good doing it. And uh, again, shout out to my best friend, Brandon Zeller. Thank you, Brandon, for everything uh, with that, because that was last week or two weeks ago. It's been really, really great. So if you haven't taken time to watch it yet, Please do so if if you if you have the time and you want to maybe set a reminder and just do it one of these days you know come back to it watch the video that's really where we're gonna get the most impact because I have video from digital a uh, high eight analog to digital conversions on the tapes and brought them in and I've put thousands of pictures it's just it's a really really great project and again I'm I'm gonna stop talking about it but it's just we're we're uh, we've released it into the world and so I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go now. So thank you so much for everyone for watching and uh, for writing me uh, after you have watched it to get your feedback. I appreciate that. Um, couple things. So due to an error uh, on a couple of my albums that I released, actually the first two albums I ever released. In 2004, I released Personal Invitation. And in 2006, I released Higher Standards. Well, I was... I wasn't, I wasn't the first, but I was one of the first in the first year that digital distribution uh, was a thing. And this actually this actually kind of trips me out. Like a, it blows me away when you think about this. Do you remember back in the early 2000s, before the iPod, it was just us illegally downloading songs on Napster and LimeWire and Kazaa and getting viruses and, oh, our XP machine getting fucked over, right? Get some help. But then once Apple came out with iTunes and the iPod that kind of revolutionized the MP3 generation. And then it became something where we're like, well, we can like buy songs and listen to songs on our iPad, on our device, and we can actually get on the computer and buy these songs and take them with us. And it was really, really cool and exciting. And this library was continuously growing. It was really exciting times. Well, in the early 2000s, when I was producing my music, um, I had the opportunity to get my music into iTunes. And at the time, it was only iTunes. It was nowhere else. 
And so that was really exciting for me. Um, I did that. I, I, in fact, I went through that process and got my songs, got my album up on iTunes. And it was really exciting. You know, you think about it now, it's just like, it's crazy to think about like 20 years ago that that was such a new thing, but it was, and it wasn't that long ago. But so what happened was, long story short, is due to an error in how they uploaded it back then, as technology has progressed and metadata has progressed, there are things that I'm unable to change and or modify or add to or delete out of those original releases. So as such, I was contacted and said, hey, like, if if you want to re-upload your album into like today's standards and to the, the metadata and tagging and everything that's available today, let's do that. And the company that I use uh, to distribute my music wrote to me and said, we'll just take care of the cost. We'll let you re-upload your albums. And so I said, fantastic. This was about a, about a month and a half ago. So I took this opportunity, in fact, to go pull out my master tapes. This is what I've been doing with background beats and the memoir. It's just kind of like this snowball effect of projects that are coming. Like this email came through and I'm like, dude, okay, here's an opportunity. So I took this opportunity to go back to my master tapes and grab my masters and import them into Pro Tools, sit down, use my multiband compression, EQ, delay, reverb, and kind of touch up and polish up, basically remaster. And that, that term remaster gets thrown around a lot. And it's typically not always the best thing in audio. It's usually kind of like, oh, don't remaster. I like the originals. But I did it very tastefully. Now, not everything's perfect, of course, because I was recording when I was younger and some levels may be a little hot and maybe a little, little clipping here and there, you know, but overall, I've touched up my first album, Personal Imitation, released in 2004, and touched up and remastered my second album, Higher Standards, released in 2006. And I just this morning was up at 6 a.m., completely wired and exciting to do all this, um, re-upload re them put them through so they're now in the pipeline. So folks, that's really exciting. So on your digital uh, distribution, wherever you listen to music, your uh, digital partners, check out the album. It will be coming out probably sometime this month. It takes a little while to go through the pipeline, but it's coming. Very cool. I think that's actually nice, you know, because, hey, technology moves forward, things advance, and uh, you have to just jump into the now, into the know. So very, very cool stuff there. Excited, actually very, very excited because I haven't touched these since I released them. So it gave me an opportunity to really brush them up. And uh, I even updated the artwork. I went back and found all of my, I actually had studio sessions, uh, photo sessions with a photographer who did all of my artwork and my photos. And this was shot on film, by the way. This wasn't a digital camera at the time. I wanted to shoot on film because I love that, that kind of, I don't know, just that more raw, um, in a way, kind of grainy look a bit on the photo. So I went with um, a photographer that used uh, film. And I went back and found the old sessions and I pulled some old photos from those sessions. I've got maybe 50 or 60 or so shots from those times. They were shot, one was in 2003, one was in 2005. And uh, I just kind of created new artwork, new album artwork. It looks like the originals, but it's touched up. A couple new poses. Very cool. I was exciting. Anyway, anyway. I'll shut up about it. Very, very cool stuff. And then lastly, last update about me is the background beats is coming. Cutting edge background beats. Remember that one had to be pulled because of fucking YouTube uh, flagged it for copyright because it uses the same chord progression as a fucking 80s band song. No, yeah, this is terrible. But anyway, that got pulled. I shut it down and I've removed that song and I'm re-uploading. So this month, 
cutting edge beats, background beats is coming. That's three uploads this month. Very, very cool. Very exciting. All right. Shall we jump in to uh, do a little um, uh, gaming news? Yeah, I think we should. How about this? Has a little transition for you. I made that transition. Haven't even used it yet. Let's do it. All right. So gaming news. GoldenEye. This was huge news last week. GoldenEye's Xbox remaster has leaked online. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I don't want to say unfortunately because this thing is, this has been rumored. It's like the Holy Grail. It's been rumored for years. But in, in my gaming news, I have some other stuff too with CD Projekt Red and leaked stuff there. But that's bad. This is actually, I think this is pretty good. Um, it's fully playable within the Xbox 360 emulator on PC. In 2008, if you, if you don't know about this, let me tell you about this. In 2008, this project was originally planned to release digital only on the Xbox 360's Xbox Live Arcade platform. Remember that? That's on 360. It was a great online store. It allowed indies, AAAs, allowed pretty much anyone to release their game and get, get up in there. And it was a really, really nice platform. I'm very partial to Xbox Live Arcade because Xbox Live Arcade in 2011 was the very first platform that I was a part of releasing audio and soundtrack for Conquest. If you remember, shout out to Jason Kiderling. Made with balloons. Remember him? Great guy. Very nice guy. Very professional. Always been really good to me. So this game was going to be on that platform, but it got canceled. So people have always been rumored like they were working on it. It was almost done, if not pretty much done. But then it got shelved for many, many reasons. This remaster gives players the option to switch between HD and the original OG N64 visuals. Um, and currently that does work in this version that they've found. However, the online multiplayer, of course, that does not work. Why it wouldn't? Why would it? Right. Um, so, Microsoft rights holders, Activision, and original publisher Nintendo were said to have initially agreed on a licensing deal for this game in 2008 and for this remaster, but ultimately that collapsed due to the sheer number of parties involved in approving the re-release. So, this is a fate of. The fate of this game lies on the developers, the publishers, and the rights holders. And then there's also the, the James Bond license holders. And this is kind of a big clusterfuck of things. So it's very difficult. And that's exactly why it got shelved. Uh, GoldenEye's composer, Grant Kirkhope, who was at Rare during the remaster's development, but wasn't directly involved with this, did make a statement. He said, quote, the main reason it didn't happen was because there were too many stakeholders, he said. Microsoft, Nintendo, and Eon, owners of the Bond license, could never agree on terms. And that's before we even started to consider getting all the original movie actors to agree and have their likeness used again. It would have cost money, so much money, uh, to get this done. And because of that, pro of that issue, it probably wouldn't have been financially viable. Yeah, makes sense. Too many parties, too many cooks in the kitchen, and everyone wants a bunch of money, but this would have been way too expensive to do it. What a shame. But it did get leaked online. I actually have a screenshot. I can show it to you here. Here's a screenshot of it. Pretty awesome looking, right? Yeah, and I've watched some footage online of people playing it. It's brilliant. 
It's really, really brilliant. It made me honestly want to try to figure out how to get an Xbox 360 emulator going. My goodness. I would love to play this. It's really cool to switch back and forth, too. You know, with the graphics and things. So very, very cool stuff right there. Go check it out online. Definitely want to watch footage of that. Uh, Nintendo has raised their Switch sales forecast after a monster holiday quarter. I mean, you can imagine. I mean, that's that's common sense, right? I mean, you can imagine. The Switch was dominating this year. All in part, of course, from, well, a couple things. The pandemic one. People were inside. But two, Animal Crossing. Oh my gosh, huge. Probably the biggest game this year. Or last year. Nintendo has posted earnings for a huge holiday quarter in which the Switch sold more consoles than ever. 11.57 million consoles were moved in total, bringing the Switch close to 80 million sold since its 2017 launch. Nintendo has increased its forecast for the physical year, ending March 31st to 26.5 million Switch units, also boosting its net profit estimate 33% to 400 billion yen. That's about $3.82 billion with a B in U.S. dollars. A Switch has now outsold the 3DS in terms of lifetime sales and the older handheld reaching a total of 75.94 million units before production was ended. Only 730,000 3DS games were shipped during the last quarter, underlining that the platform really is, unfortunately, dead at this point. I don't want to say we saw it coming, but do you remember about two years ago? Actually, it was one of the earliest episodes of the Honey House Gaming and Tech podcast. I think it was one of the original, I think we were still single digits even in the podcast episodes. And I was saying to myself, with you all, we were talking, I said, the Switch basically just killed the handheld market. Do you remember this? What episode was that? I wish I could go back and pull a clip. I said it basically just Nintendo just killed the the handheld market, which is, in fact, a market they dominate. They killed a market they dominate in. They're not even double dipping anymore. They can't. The switch is that double dip, right? It's the perfect handheld. It's the perfect game. Well, I don't know. I shouldn't I shouldn't use perfect so so frivolously. The Switch is a fantastic handheld and a fantastic console. It is. It's good. It's fun. I like it. I do. I play it a lot. We play it a lot. Is it as powerful as the other ones? No. Can it do everything the others can do? No. Is there online janky? Yes. Okay, does it have problems? Yes. But is it awesome and fun to play? Yes. I just think that's that blows me away. That just blows me away. Imagine that. And I feel like I'm just repeating myself from this episode whenever it was. It was a couple of years ago. But imagine it. You have the market. Sony came to the table. Here, please, buy our PSP. Didn't do shit. I love, first of all, I love PSP. I'm not talking shit at all. You guys know me. I love PSP. I'm going to stream PSP games at some point here. Love them. But it didn't sell. Didn't do shit. They pulled it. Okay, okay, don't worry. We'll get it. We'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. Here's the Vita. Here's the Vita. Came out even worse. Couldn't compete. Didn't do it. Vita's fantastic. It's a great console. It's a great handout. 
didn't sell for shit. Microsoft's like, yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're good. We're gonna just we're gonna just let you we're gonna just let everyone play on Windows XP, but we're we're good. We're just gonna hang out over here. We're good. You guys can play in that. You guys can play there. Nintendo's like, yeah, we got this handheld market, and they do. And then they came out with the Switch, which is basically, I think, what the Wii U, what they wanted the Wii U to be. I just have this feeling, too, that the Switch for Nintendo, I've heard people talk about this before. Some people have said, like, it's a, it, the Switch was a make-or-break um, console for Nintendo. Now, here's the thing. Nintendo, they have so much pride. Even if they are flat broke, I don't think that they would shut their doors and fire their staff. I really don't. I feel like they would hold their heads high and figure out another way. I really do. Because they're innovative. Very, very innovative. They've Their innovations haven't always gone the way they wanted, but at least they're innovating. Right? You got to at least give them that. I mean, think if we were still playing here on the Virtual Boy. Yeah, no, we're not. <laughs> but I liked the 3DS. I thought it was a cool console. I didn't really, I mean, I liked it, but the 3D was sort of kind of a, just, ah, it was kind of a gimmick. It was cool. I liked it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I'm not dying to go out and play the 3D games. You know what I mean? So anyway, yeah, crazy, crazy. Anyway, wow, I just went long ranting on that and I apologize. But it's just, it just blows me away. It trips me out. Um, that uh, the Switch is just doing so well. And it's, it's great. And that kind of was a make or break for Nintendo. And I'm really happy for them. I'm really happy for them in that regard. Now, if they can just get their shit together and bring out the fucking games. Keep it going. Keep it going. Don't stop these games. Bring out these old IPs. Now is the time. The Wii U failed miserably. It took a shit right in the dumpster. And then the dumpster was lit on fire. It was bad. Now's the time. The Switch is here. Let's go. Let's fucking go. Right? Are you guys with me? I hope you're with me. There was an update this week. I heard that Nintendo is going to be updating. This is huge news. Huge. It should have been top story on my fucking podcast. Top story. Whoop, whoop. Top story. Top story. Whoop, whoop. Nintendo is updating their online servers. And their technology, their infrastructure. They posted this last week. The Switch, and all the handhelds for that matter, have been running on the same online infrastructure that the Wii U has. And what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Because no one even really played the Wii U online. So what does that even fucking mean? It means it's garbage. And we know that. I can't even play Nintendo. I can't even play the Switch online retro games without getting like I can't play Dr. Mario with uh, my brother who lives in the same state without it freaking lagging right I've talked about this a million times this is great news so hopefully they update their infrastructure and things get better big news for Nintendo so news for Codemasters we talked about this about three weeks ago remember when EA the big band hammer of EA is coming through they swooped in they swooped in last minute with a 1.2 billion with a B acquisition bid for Codemasters. Well, guess what? EA's acquisition of Codemasters has been sealed. It's official. The studio's board of directors voted in favor, approving the buyout last week. In a court meeting, 63 
of Codemaster's 76 stakeholders, representing 99% of the held shares in the company, approved EA's takeover bid. With the board's approval sealed, the acquisition deal now awaits a formal court hearing in uh, February 16th. <gasps> it's coming up. Should all go to plan. EA's acquisition should be cemented by the end of spring. The racing developer Codemasters was previously in talks to be purchased by Take-Two for almost a billion dollars before EA swooped in with a higher offer. It's a long arm. There's a lot of fucking The Sims money. That's a lot of Sims money. Dude, if they can come in here with fucking Star Wars money, you know what I mean? Like, if they can come in here and swing around, swing a lightsaber or two, you bet your ass they're going to be buying up a company like Codemasters. Uh, Codemasters' arrival will bring EA some more serious-minded racing franchises to sit along the Need for Speed series and the criminally slept-on Burnout series, which they need to bring back. Um... Besides the F1 and Dirt series, Codemasters also bring with it Project Cars developer Slightly Mad, remember, which they acquired in 2019. Say what you want about Project Cars. One and two were very much awesome sim. You know, they're very much a sim game. The third one is definitely not really. It's kind of an arcade game. And I can't say it too loud because when people hear it, they fucking freak out. But I really like it. I'm like, we're the only guy who likes it for some reason. No, I know why. We won't get into it, but it's a good game. It's still a good game. I like it. I'm, in fact, I want to play it tonight. I want to play it now. Um, so yeah, they they acquired Slightly Mad, which then they released Project Cars 3 last year. Um, EA's racing output currently amounts to a new Need for Speed roughly once every two years with the series now back in the hands of Criterion. But during Tuesday's earning call, here it is, folks. Get ready, get ready. EA said that it wants to use Codemasters acquisition to pitch itself as a global leader in racing entertainment with the capacity to put out new racing experiences on an annual basis. There it is. And what did we talk about two weeks, three weeks ago when we mentioned that this was happening? What did I say? I said, they're either going to do one of two things. They're one, they're going to, they're going to buy out Codemasters and they're going to grab a few people and then shut the whole fucking place down and bury them so that they're the only ones making racing games that are good. Let's say good in, in quotes. Or they're two. They're going to grab everyone. They're going to put them in a, a giant ball pit playpen and say, folks, I don't give a fuck where you came from, but you and you and you and you and you all need to play nice together because we are going to make great racing games and we're going to release them annually with a whole bunch of fucking DLC that people are going to buy, microtransactions, in-game purchases, and more. And we're going to do that over and over and over. That's what's going to happen. And that is, that is that, that's it. They said it. So say what you will, say what you want. Honestly, at this point, how can I feel? How can I feel? I have to, obviously, I have to, you have to, we have to accept it. We have to. We have to vote with our wallet. Now, I'm not saying don't buy their games. I'm, I'm in fact, very optimistic. They've got all the money in the world, so they better, they better get their asses together, and they better figure it out. 
because they have Need for Speed. They've got great franchises. They've got great IPs now. Okay, let's let's fucking go. Let's get this shit together, right? Come on. Quit messing with us. Bring out some good games. Let's go. I'm fucking ready. I'm ready. It has been dry. It has been a drought. It's drier than dry bones. It's Let's go. Let's get these games going. I'm fucking pumped for it. It's me trying to accept. I'm trying to accept it internally. I'm trying to accept this. I know it's going to be just a shit show of DLC and in-game fucking microtransactions. It's going to be another battlefield. They're going to fuck it up. But oh, what can I do? Pause for the cause. Oh, my God. What can I do? They just really need to get their shit together and release some good games. Ah, the Steam Game Festival was live last week. Did you guys get in there? I mean, if, if you're listening to this now, you already missed it. But I wanted to at least let you know, because for some, this one was a little different. They had over 500 free demos for people to play. What? That was massive. I've never seen that many demos before in any event that they've done. So this is pretty good. Uh, February 2021 edition of the Steam Game Festival was underway last week, nearly one week long. Um, but yeah, over 500 demos, live live chats, live game showcases. It was pretty good. Ran till February 9th, so it was a week long there. Uh, be sure to jump into it next year if you missed it. Uh, currently, Steam right now, as of recording this, um, is doing the Lunar New Year. So happy Lunar New Year to everyone out there. February 15th is when that ends, but go ahead and jump in there. They have some good deals on games too right now. I mean, come on. You know you, you know you have all those games. You know you have them anyway. <laughs> I went and looked. All the games on sale I already own. No, not really, but that's just what I tell myself so I don't buy anymore. Speaking of Valve, Valve is to pay $4 million in a Steam controller patent infringement case. They actually lost to this. Check this out. Valve has been ordered to pay $4 million in damages after a week-long jury trial found it had infringed a patent related to the Steam controller back on the back of the controllers. Lawyers representing SCUF parent company Ironberg Investors, well, Inventors, Ironberg Inventors, told the jury that Valve had been warned about Ironberg's patent in 2014. They were warned about it after a prototype of that controller was first shown at CES. So they show the controller at CES. The patent holders are like, hey, you... Don't do this. Don't make this because we actually own the patent to that. Don't do that. Um, Ironberg's lawyer told that jury, uh, told them that last week via Law 360. Valve's international and in no intentional. Let me get my words right. All right. Let me just try to get my. I need more coffee is what I need. Valve's intentional disregard of its infringement is at the heart of the case. Valve did know that its conduct involved an unreasonable risk of infringement, but it simply proceeded to infringe anyway. The classic David and Goliath story, it says. Goliath does what Goliath wants, as they continued to explain it. The U.S. District Judge Thomas Zilly from the Western District of Washington found that all seven of Ironberg inventors' claims were infringed upon. Wow. 
Though Valve maintained there were no infringements at all, arguing that the, its back buttons were demonstrative demonstrably different to those patents by Ironberg. Other brands of this Ironberg umbrella include Corsier and Elgato. Microsoft's Xbox Elite controller uses the same back buttons, which it licensed from them, from Ironberg inventors. The Steam controller was discontinued in 2019 after four years on the market. Do you remember that? They blew them out for like five bucks a controller. We bought two. We bought two. And they're actually really cool. They work pretty nice. I don't know. I'm not really a huge fan of like the little touch pad or whatever on the front. Like it's weird, but it's it's a nice, it's a nice touch. No pun intended. Four million they gotta pay. Oh, pocket change. I bet you Gabe's sitting on that right now or he's wiping his ass with that. Big news for any uh Stadia fans. Any uh Hold on, man, I should have queued something up here. Don't I have a don't I have a fucking soundboard with animals? I feel like I do. Let me get this up here. Oh, here's my old all gen gamers ones. You can come over to my house and find my sister. That's a wonderful idea. <laughs> Excuse me while I whip this out. <laughs> um oh here I do have it. Okay, here it is. Uh Big news for Stadia lovers. Uh, we got some Stadia fans out there. That's what I thought. Well, it's unfortunate, but Google announced uh, earlier last week that it is closing its internal Stadia game development studios and shifting its focus to the further development of Stadia streaming platform and technology. Yep. Yep. That, uh, that only took them a year. You know, that's just the thing. You know, Google, speaking of David and Goliath, you know, Google's going to do what the fuck Google wants to do. And if, uh, what's that website? Killedbygoogle.com or something? There's a website where it shows all the stuff that Google has come out with and then killed and, and shelved and put by the wayside. And that's just the thing. You know, you have to understand that they have engineers that are working there that have to come up with stuff. They have to create things. And this maybe not, specifically related to Stadia, but like they have to come up with apps or concepts or things to keep their job. So they're just like making random shit. And, you know, you, you kind of have to feel bad for that because not everything is going to be good. And if your job's on the line, God, what a stressful environment. I can only imagine. But uh, yeah, so the internal Google development studio is shifting gears. Given our focus on building on the proven technology of Stadia, as well as deepening our business partnerships, we've decided that we will not be investing further in, in bringing exclusive content from our internal development team, SG&E. Beyond any near-term plan game, Stadia boss Phil Harrison said in a blog post, over the coming months, most of the SG&E team will be moving on to new roles. We're committed to working with this talented team to find new roles and support them. That's fucked. That actually means they're being fired. Anyone in corporate America knows. Anyone in the corporate setting knows. That means the whole team just got fired. That's fucked, man. Yes, they're going to help some people find internal roles, but that means basically, dude, that's fucked. The focus going forward will be on helping external developers and publishers take advantage of the technology, which Harrison said is the best is the best path to building Stadia into a long-term sustainable business 
that helps grow the industry. Oh, fuck. Fuck's sake. I don't even know what the fuck I'm reading. I got, I, I got nothing for that. I feel bad for every... Oh, here it is. There it is. It's right up there in orange. It's an orange one. It's the only orange one on my soundboard. How did I miss it? I feel bad for every single person that's getting fucking let go at Google A for this. It's not even their fault. Ah, rough. Do you remember um, last year I talked about Asus and Ikea partnering together to come out with some ultimate comfort uh, furniture, maybe some uh, accessories for your desk, your office, your game room. And I was really excited about that. I'm still really excited. Don't get me wrong. I'm still very excited. And we, uh, we do have a first look prototype type device of what is of one thing that's going to come out. Ikea announced that they are teaming up with Asus ROG to hone a lineup of gaming furniture a growing trend among furniture retailers as they hope to cash in on the gaming market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone wants a piece now. <clears throat> hey, newsflash, assholes. We've always been here. Don't just try to jump in now because you think it's profitable, you fucks. <clears throat> Where was I? It's named... Are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? Mug Holder. Mug holder. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And and engineers and developers are getting fired at Google right now as we speak who are making software. You know, what the f it hooks onto the side of your desk. 4.2 centimeters thick and allows easy access for your hot drinks without fear of killing your $150 gaming keyboard. It'll set you back a modest 49 yen currently. Uh, which is roughly $7.50 in a straight currency exchange. Uh, actual sales price is likely to vary some once it hits the stores in the U.S. I have a screenshot of this. Are you guys ready for this fucking thing? Please. You need to see this. Yeah. What? I don't know what the fuck I'm reading. Oh, fuck. I mean, you can get on AliExpress and get that for like three cents. No! Please, no. God damn no. son of a bitch. I just, I got nothing. It's a clip-on drink holder. I mean, yeah, I, I, okay, yes. But we have those. You can buy those right now. They've been around forever. Here's what pisses me off about this. You have the opportunity. I feel heated. Why am I heated today? This is actually exciting. This is good. You have the opportunity to work with teams and make something fun, unique, exclusive, helpful, and stylish, and functional. And you come up with this. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, I, okay. Yeah, see, I'm, I can't, I can't think of anything. I got nothing. I don't know what the fuck am I reading. I don't know what the fuck I'm reading. I just think that in the future, they better come up with something better than that. Don't get me wrong. Like, I would use it. Yeah, okay, cool, right? You know, get your mug off the table, whatever. Put it over there. The little thing sits in there. It's good for your handle. It sits in there. It keeps secure. I get that. It's, it's fucking seven bucks. Jesus, I spend more of that at Wendy's. I mean, like, it's okay. Like, okay, great. But, okay, folks, let's fucking get it together and create something great. 
something really functional that that gonna get us hyped. Don't just try to cash in us. Oh, little gamers are gonna like a little cap holder. They're gonna just sit there. They're gonna put the little cap in the cap holder and they're gonna clip it on their table. And they're gonna sit there and be like, my cup sits in the cup holder. Don't fuck with us. Give us something great. Can't even deal with this shit. Huge news. This is this next topic here is huge news. Probably the biggest article, not just of um, the week, but this will this will go down in history for the year for sure. But in, in history altogether, Cyberpunk twenty seven seven, their studio, CD Projekt Red, was hacked. Their internal servers were hacked. I, most of you already know this. This was last. This happened uh, three days ago. Huge news. Everyone knows about it. But if you're not in the know, check this out. Tuesday. CD Projekt Red disclosed it had been a victim of a ransomware attack in which hackers had collected, quote, certain data from the company. It posted a ransom note in a text file inside this email from the hackers in which they claim to have access to source code from the studio's most popular games as well as internal legal, HR, and financial documents. CD Projekt Red said it would not give in to the demands or negotiate with the hackers, even if that meant the stolen data would begin circulating online. Bravo to them. Bravo! Give it up for them. They can't catch a fucking break, I'm telling you. The hate for them right now is has been unreal, you know, because the game is broken. It was buggy. They weren't always honest. They just been getting hit left and right. And I'm telling you, man, I watched uh, a couple of posts on IGN go crazy. People were super brutal. You know what? I mean, in the end, in the end, no one deserves any of this. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a business for these ransomware hackers. It's just a business. People are like, oh, it's disgruntled gamers and they're going to hack the game. No, 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 no. It's not disgruntled gamers. Disgruntled gamers just don't buy anything from the developers. They don't fucking hack a business. They don't do that. I mean, some might, maybe, but most don't. Most don't give a shit. It's a business. Hackers have report reportedly sold... This is news, actually, as of, like, yesterday. Hackers have reportedly sold the game source code and other information stolen from Cyberpunk 2077... In The Witcher 3, CG, CD Projekt Red cybersecurity firm Keela released screenshots of a post on the hacking forum exploit allegedly posted by the hackers saying that they've received an offer from the data or for the data from outside of the forum. They added that they ended the auction at the request of the buyer. Cybersecurity Twitter account VX Underground subsequently confirmed the auction had closed. So here's what happened. CD Projekt Red was hacked, ransomware, they stole the data, they gave them a ransom note, said to pay them, or in 48 hours they're going to release it. CD Projekt Red did not negotiate, said, no, sorry, we're not giving you a dollar. They said, fine. They put it up on the dark web and went to an auction on the dark web. And according to sources here that I'm talking about, they confirmed that it has sold the listing was was taken down and was sold evidently allegedly it's not known right now who purchased the data or how much it was sold for however the auction 
was thought to have included source code from Thornbreaker, the Witcher uh, Tales spinoff, The Witcher 3, a ray-traced ver version of Witcher 3, Cyberpunk 2077, and copies of the company's um, internal revenue documents. That's according to screenshots posted by VX Underground on Twitter. The auction followed a leak of the source game code CD Projekt Red's virtual card game Gwent, which was verified by Vice. Keela previously reported that the starting price for the auction was at $1 million, with a buy-it-now price of $7 million. These terms were subsequently verified by a VX Underground as well. Although the hackers have not been officially named, one security researcher told Wired, where this, era, this uh, article I read came from, uh, is believed to uh, involve uh, a hacker uh, by the name of Hello Kitty ransomware, which had also been used to hack a Brazilian power company called CEMIG earlier last year. A spokesperson from CD Projekt Red did not immediately return um, any comments to uh, Wired or also to The Verge, uh, which I grabbed some information to from as well. Uh, no comments. They said it's actively investigating. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. That is rough. Actually, I have a screenshot of the ransom note. Let's see if, if I scroll in, you guys might be able to see it. Here, I'll switch over to my uh, iPad. Unfortunately, it's it's a wide text document, so it's not going to look really good. But it says, I mean, like, look at this shit. You have been epically pwned. We have dumped full copies of the source codes from your performance server for Cyberpunk Witcher Gwent and the unreleased version of Witcher 3. It says here, we have also dumped all of your documents relating to accounting, administration, legal, HR, investor relations, and more. Also, we have encrypted all of your servers, but we understand that you can most likely recover from backups. <laughs> if we will not come to an agreement, then your source, then your source codes, where the fuck did I go? When your source codes will be sold or leaked online and your documents will be sent to our contacts in game journalism. Your public image will go down the shitter even more and people will see how you shitty your company functions. Investors will lose trust in your company and the stock will dive even lower. You have 48 hours to contact us. You can, you can pretty much gather with how the grammar spelled here, uh, you know, what we're dealing with here. They're not from uh, around these parts. It's sad. It's sad, but that's just the reality of it. That's just the reality of it. So anyway, they did not, they did not, um, they did not uh, meet their demands. And so it went to the dark web. We'll see how this plays out. We will see how it plays out. I really hope for the best because yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty shitty. Can I hear my transition again? Yeah, this sounds kind of fun. I like this. We're going to go into some tech news. Tech. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah tech yeah, news. Yeah. I have a couple articles here. Spotify subscribers surged past 150 million. Spotify now boasts 155 million premium subs and 345 million monthly active users. It's a lot. So about half are subscribed. 
The other half are active users here. According to its latest earnings report released earlier this last week, those numbers represent a 24% and 27% year-over-year increase. Its biggest increase was in ad-supported monthly active users, which rose 30% to 199 million. Last quarter, it reported having reached 144 million subscribers and 320 million monthly active users. So it is going up on Spotify, which kind of begs the question, where do you listen to music? I kind of would like to know where you listen to music. Do you, do you use digital services? Do you use Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Tidal, Deezer, Napster? They're all out there still. What do you use? I actually would like, I would like to know, to be honest, I would like to know wh- where you listen to music and the reason why you use that platform. Can you please tell me that? I'm, I'm serious. Like you can either just like write me in discord in the podcast chat section. You can send me a voicemail, which would be even better to have a conversation about it. Record yourself, send it over to HineyHouseLive at gmail.com on your smartphone or device, send it over, or just call me. Call me and uh, leave a voicemail. 503-908-5490 is the phone number. 503-908-5490. You can record that. I'd love to know because I'm really interested in this ever-changing digital landscape. And obviously, um, I'm kind of in the business of releasing, creating and releasing music. So I want to know. I mean, I have my stats and I see where most people are listening, but I want to know from you. Like, do you listen to the podcast in like the Apple podcast app, but you use Spotify to listen to music or do you use Spotify to listen to podcast and music or do you use Apple, Apple music for music? And then do you use Podbean for podcast? Like, you know, just let me know. I'm, I'm actually really, really curious. I'm kind of um, intrigued by all this. And a couple of weeks ago, I started making a, a survey and I want to survey every single listener of the show. I would love to. And again, this isn't like a grab for your data. I don't want any personal information. I'm not going to ask for any of that. I don't want that. I want you to, you know, feel secure and anonymous, but I want I want to uh, create a survey and get your feedback about this show, which is really cool because I want to continue to grow the show. And um, it's like a, it takes maybe, it says estimated eight to nine minutes to complete. It's like a 40 questionnaire thing, just about random stuff about the podcast, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see improved, you know, this and that, you know, where you listen, you know, what technology do you own? Do you own consoles? Do you like tech? You know, stuff like that. Basically, it's like random bullet point questions. So I'm putting that together. That will be released sometime soon, but it's not ready yet. I got, fuck, I spent like two hours making it. And then Survey Monkey's like, oh yeah, it costs 70 bucks a month to do this. And I'm like, you know, you fucking kidding me? I'm going to just do it in Google. Um, anyway, um, last bit of tech news I have here. Chromebooks. We've talked about Chromebooks quite a bit here. Chromebooks, they just had their best year ever. I'm actually not surprised. Not surprised one bit. Most, even corporate settings and enterprises are using Chromebooks for day-to-day and for work. Why? Because they're secure and they're easy. I mean, as much as I love Windows XP, all right, as much as I love my sweater, it's just much more difficult to manage a Windows infrastructure. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It requires much more of an investment. Chromebooks are fantastic, but they're also not great just for business. They're great for individuals. Using a Chromebook is basically a glorified web browser in a computer. 
And most people in the life they live today, what do they want? <clears throat> email, YouTube, uh, email, YouTube, and uh, YouTube and email, right? That's all they want. They just need a web browser. So it works really, really well. They're affordable. They're quick. They're efficient. And they just, you, you turn them on and they work. Even the shitty little Acer ones, dude, I've used shitty Acer ones and they just work. Although slow and kind of annoying, touchpads are fucking terrible, but they're 200 bucks or 150 bucks, even cheaper than that. So yeah, great. Chromebooks had their best year ever. Last quarter of 2020 being the strongest ever for Google's laptops via nine to five Google's where this article came from. Over 30 million of the devices shipped last year with somewhere between 11 and 11.7 million shipping in quarter four alone. Holy fuck, that is a lot of Chromebooks. And honestly, I would say that, and you know, not a lot of people call in for like advice, for tech advice or anything like that, which is great. If you if you have tech advice you want, it's so, I know, it's so easy for you just to go online and, you know, look up your best friends on, on YouTube and get tech advice. But if you want like a personal tech advice from me, you can just call me up and ask me. And I would, I would definitely, I can help out. Um, I don't get a lot of those calls, maybe not just yet, but like a Chromebook is a great solution for a lot of things. If you're not a gamer, you're just looking for something quick and easy, down and dirty, man, that's a great resource for you. So they're up 80% from last year, 80% from last year. In comparison though, PC sales were up 11%. And you may be saying, well, holy shit, Chromebook, Chromebooks up 80, PCs up by 11. That isn't to say that Chromebooks have outsold PCs because PCs sold 275 million traditional computers this year. But it does show, this, this figure does show Chromebooks are on the rise. Absolutely, on the rise. With good reason. They make great, great products. They really do. Uh, folks, yeah, that's all I got for tech news. Are you guys ready for a little something, something, something? Hello? Hello? You've got voicemail. Meow. 503-908-5490 is the phone number. You know what? Put that in your phone. Just put it in your phone. Call it sometime when you feel like chatting. 503-908-5490. That's how you do it. And uh, we're going to hop right on over into the voicemails. I think we have a couple. I'm going to, I'm going to just bet. I'm going to just, I'm going to roll the dice and say, I got one from, uh, uh, from Mr. Cameron. It's got to be the voicemail maniac. Oh, it sure is. All right, let's get into this. What's up, Jason, the maniac of voicemail here, Mr. Cameron Johnson. Hi, Cameron. Uh, I wanted to first off just congratulate you on your memoir. Thank you. Um, I'm, a, I'm about halfway through, I think. I'm kind of watching it in sections. Uh, but yeah, it. it's really interesting stuff. It's amazing, you know, how a lot of musicians, I guess I can only speak for myself, but, you know, um, I had a lot, of the, a lot of the same experiences as you, kind of picking things up quickly, and, and I just never stopped playing, so... Also, my first, probably one of my more, my more, most exciting gigs was in middle school. Uh, we played the school dance, and there was a mosh pit. <laughs> so that, that nice. was pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, see, I can absolutely absolutely relate to uh, your experience there. Um, 
Thank also, you. just to, to follow up, yeah, there was definitely, as far as, you know, the game market going crazy during COVID, I think it had a combination of people having the stimulus check, burning a hole in their pockets. Oh, I guess a lot of people got unemployment, uh, were, were able to do that, which is great, um, while they can't work. And then also they were stuck at home. So I think that was kind of like the perfect storm. If we get the other stimulus, I think most people aren't stuck at home. So, I'm not sure if it will have the same effect. But, yeah, it was definitely a, a, a big bump. If you look look on price charting like a graph of, of like, any retro game that's worth anything, you'll see, like, a big jump. Finally, uh, this has nothing to do with anything I've, I've been uh, talking about, but I was th- I've was i been thinking about, you know, the, the best action movies, uh, you know, or ones I've, I've always enjoyed watching over and over again. was curious, you guys, yours and uh, Stephanie's action movies, Top, whatever, three, five, two, one. Uh, I think, I think it's hard to argue against Terminator 2 being up there. Same thing with Predator. Um, and I'd even say Aliens also. Yeah. Movie, all three. Classic. Yeah. Those are probably my top three. I might even throw Robocop in there, although it's kind of, there isn't as much action. It's pretty disturbing in scenes, actually. It is, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and then finally, I'll throw in the movie Heat, which, mm. While it not being a straight up action movie, Isn't that it's one of the best shootout scenes ever filmed, in my opinion. I'm thinking of different movie. So before I hit the three minute mark, we're gonna let you go. But uh, hope you are doing well. Hope uh, everything is going great for you guys. And we'll talk again next time. Cameron, the voicemail maniac. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the call. Always appreciate the call. Thank you. Wow, great stuff. One, thank you for watching the memoir. Thank you for taking it in uh, in sections. That's the way you got to do it, man. That's just the way you do it. Uh, makes it easier. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, two, I, after we talked about, after we talked about that, I went and looked it up and yeah, I mean, for sure, man, the, the price charting does show that after stimulus money came through, the prices has gone up on, on retro gaming for sure. And, um, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Like I've, like we've talked about before, like I've never sold anything, but like, oh my gosh, like a part of me is kind of like, dude, do I, do I just get an EverDrive and like sell off maybe half the collection, take a little, like get a little money? I, and part of me is like thinking about that. I'm like, no, I can't, I can't because we've been in dire need before. Steph and I have both been in dire need where we were forced to sell some stuff, and um, we don't have to sell anything right now. So no, I'm not going to. But that's that's pretty insane to to look at and think about. Um, yeah. And even, I even hear that there's supposed to be another stimulus check coming or whatever. And I bet you it's going to do the same thing. So yeah, nuts, nuts. I didn't even think about that. Um, and two or three action movies. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, you named all great classic ones. Yeah. Aliens. I mean, Predator. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Rambo. Fuck. I love me some Rambo. These are just OG great, great movies. Um, in RoboCop. Yeah. That movie fucked me up. Yeah. That was weird. There was some weird stuff in RoboCop. Really, really weird. Um, I don't know. I didn't really get into it. And then I, I played the NES RoboCop game too. There was two, I think. One was one was a lot better than the other one from what I remember. I think the second Robo, RoboCop 2, I think, was really good. Or was it the other way around? Any NES fans out there? You can correct me. Um, but yeah, action movies? Dude. Yeah, I got answers for this. Uh, see, I'm, I, I like movies. I'm not a huge movie buff. I just, man, I'd rather just play a video game. 
if I'm going to sit there for two or three hours. But I love seeing, um, I mean, I love chick flick movies too, man. I mean, that's not going to lie. I fucking admit that to the day I die. When Harry Met Sally, You've Got Mail, fucking The Notebook. I mean, I love, I love chick flicks. Um, Rom-coms, you know, I like those too. Uh, you know, movies you go see, uh, go on a date with or something. They're fun. I just get so attached. I get so emotional. I get invested. And then I fucking cry like a baby. I always cry in movies, even in action movies, dude. I I cry in like Disney movies and shit too, like Toy Story and um, uh, Monsters, Inc. and all these movies. I cry, you know, I get attached. Anyway, we're talking about action movies. <laughs> action movies? Fucking, dude. First of all, Bad Boys. Bad Boys is, is fantastic. And you're going to notice a trend here. You're going to notice a trend here. Bad Boys, 94. 95 first bad boys bad boys 2 2002 great movie um love that franchise will smith uh just love 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 um bad boys great action but again jerry bruckheimer all right how about the rock the rock is one of my all-time favorite action movies i love it nick cage sean connery rest in peace Great movie. Um, oh, yeah. And I can't forget my all-time favorite. This is probably my all-time favorite. The original Speed. The first one. After that, it went down the shitter. But the first... Oh, my gosh. So great. Love Speed. So, yeah. Kind of more and more like 90s, early 2000 flicks. But, yeah. Great. Great movies. Love those. I just love Jerry Bruckheimer. I, I, I love his over-the-top shit, man. I love it. It's great. Uh, that's an that is an action movie. You want an action movie? Watch a Jerry Bruckheimer film. Everything is going to fucking explode. Everything, even if it can't explode, it will be exploded. That's that's it will go. It will just it, oh what here's the here's some sand. Here's some things in the sand. Boom! It exploded. The sand exploded. How did it happen? I don't know. I don't know. There was there was a fucking landmine in there. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's great. He's got great movies. Great car chases. Great gunfights. Great uh, battles. Great story. Love it. Very, very good. So Cameron, hey, appreciate the voicemail. Thanks for calling. Action movies. Yeah, I really like that. Action movies. We don't we don't talk a lot about action movies. Pretty good stuff there. Let's move on to another voicemail here before we wrap it up. Hey, Jason. It's Ryan. Mr. Ryan, hello. I've uh, been getting into game soundtracks, OSTs a lot recently. Oh, yeah. Um, especially from the PC era that I would call the multimedia era from the mid 90s oh so, yeah fmv stuff Mist, uh, mech warrior 2 um, panzer mm. dragoon mm -hmm. uh, these soundtracks are just incredible and they really seem to elevate a game that's already excellent like those games um, i know i'd love to hear some more talk about osts in general on heine house as kind of a regular feature um, maybe a bit about how the technology for producing them has evolved or some specific composers that you admired both in the retro era and later on. Um, yeah, just kind of curious about what the, the trends in the industry are and some of the themes. And um, if you have any recommendations for OSTs, I should check out based on those few games I mentioned, that would be great. I just kind of feel like I'm dipping my toes in here, but yeah, and also, in a way, I feel like my enjoyment of your work has really been a gateway into appreciating game music a lot more than I have in the past. So thank you for that, and thanks for taking my call. Of course. Ryan, thank you so much. I hope you're staying warm up there in the Northwest. As I'm recording this, as I'm sitting here, 
you guys have a ton of snow. They're getting hit with a massive snowstorm right now, which is kind of uncommon, that low elevation in the northwest there. So uh, very cool. And then always an exciting time for that to happen. Uh, I mean, I always enjoyed it. I always enjoyed the snowstorm. So stay warm up there in the northwest. Ryan, thank you. And appreciate the voicemail. Thanks for your support, too. Um, yeah, OSTs. I mean, yeah. Again, I could do a whole episode on just talking about OSTs and stuff. And maybe I should maybe I should uh, have that be a rotating feature throughout. That's a great idea. Thanks for the feedback on that. Um, I did listen to this voicemail before. And I pulled a, just a couple of things to show, but um, yeah, the multimedia era, the early mid early and mid nineties on PC gaming. What a magical time, Ryan, you're exactly right. What a magical time because not that soundtracks today need to prove something, not that they don't need to, but I feel that back in the nineties, even like the eighties, late eighties and, and throughout the nineties, games were evolving. Technology was evolving so much and at a rapid pace that it's almost like the limitation of the hardware and software and the, and the techniques and procedures to make a soundtrack that really forced people to come up with creative and innovative ways to make the music. Now it was, it was still limited, right? We were, we we're using MIDI tracks or we're using, um, you know, well, MIDI is an on off, um, command, but using, um, you know, a Roland sound cards, or we're using a sound blaster ad lib cards, and we're trying to create soundscapes, in a very much plastic sounding kind of world, if that makes sense. So we're having to get creative and that was shifting because then all of a sudden we're going from discs and I D I S K disc to a D I S C disc CD ROM, where then now we move into the, Oh shit, we're, we're 44.1 16 bit. This is CD. Like we can actually do real music. We can record real instruments on this instead of doing, um, you know, canned tracker stuff without getting too crazy in, involved with it. But like going back to the NES and, and, and Genesis and Master System and Super Nintendo and, and stuff like that, where they use trackers, uh, a, a program where you actually had to plot in through um, a command, a code. Basically, it's like it's like putting coordinates in in your Google Maps. Imagine having to go say, I want to go to I want to go to um, uh, McDonald's or whatever. And you have to actually put in the longitude latitude into your maps to get there. That's pretty much how trackers worked back in the day for composing soundtracks for these cartridge based systems. I know a lot of people already know this, but I'm just, I'm just talking out of my ass because you know, you asked and it's fun to chat about it. Um, and we can see how far the technology has come, but yeah, so trackers, you actually plot in like the note, like I want to do an a sharp on line one, on beat one, I'm going to place it here. The effect will be reverb. I'll put a code in for reverb. How long the note is, the duration. You put anything anything else additional with it and then enter and then go to the next line. And you literally compose line by line. If you ever hear, um, uh, you ever hear anyone talk about trackers um, when they were composing music back in the day, they're going to tell you it was it was insane how it had to be done. And of course, you had to have a very, very small file size as well. So you had to get very creative and use, uh, you know, pink noise and different sound effects to create hi-hats and snares and pitch them differently. It was, it's so fascinating. So fascinating. But then, yeah, moving into PC world. Yeah, dude, the FMV era and even, even early DOS stuff when we were still on floppies. Yeah, man, that was a really, really cool time. And I think amazing music. I mean, like 
dude, the original Command and Conquer has an incredible soundtrack. Uh, love that. Um, what else? The, I mean, of course, I would say Duke Nukem 3D. Duke 3D, fantastic. Uh, developed by Ken Silverman. Great. Great game. Great soundtrack. Iconic stuff. Doom. Doom. I mean, hello. The most icon one of the most iconic soundtracks in PC gaming, period. So great. So great. A lot of amazing stuff. I could sit here and ramble and talk about all kinds of stuff, but I brought a few things out just to show, of course. I mean, yeah, we come on, F Zero. You guys know. This soundtrack, so fantastic. Amazing. I wanted to show you something too here, Ryan. Show everyone here too. So I found this at Goodwill. This is uh, one of my favorite shooters from the uh, early 2000s, Unreal Tournament. All right, this is the original Unreal, unofficial strategy guide. All right, unofficial, unofficial strategy guide, which is really cool by Craig Wessel. All right, GT Interactive, GW Press. Uh, let's see, who is it? Who is it published by? I guess it was published by them. Yeah, GWPress.com is the, what it says in here. A division of Game Wizards Inc. Okay, so anyway, this is an Unreal strategy guide, right? Unofficially, but I found this at Goodwill and I was going to pick it up anyway. But what's interesting is it says on here free Unreal soundtrack CD ROM right here. So I was tripping. So I, I opened it up, right? Open it up and you flip it open. And what do I see right in the back? Bruh. Bruh. Come on. Bruh. <laughs> There it is. And what's crazy is this, I don't even want to open it because it's not even creased. This CD is still in this case, not even opened yet. It's in there. So now I used to play Unreal Tournament all the time. We used to land it up, do all kinds of shit. This is a great, great shooter. You all know, you already know about Unreal Tournament, but go and listen to the soundtrack. At the time I was listening, I was saying to myself, dude, I like the music in this game too. It's dark, but also it's kind of upbeat and kind of, um, almost kind of EDM-ish on some of the levels, you'll hear it. It's super like not fitting, but fitting with how, with the textures they've created and, and how dark they've made the songs. It's really, really good. So I'm going to recommend this to you, Ryan. Go on YouTube or go look it up somewhere. I don't, I think you can only listen to it on YouTube or, or here. Maybe I'll open this up and maybe I'll rip it in. I could do that, right? I mean, I'm not selling this or doing anything with it. I'm, it's not worth anything. Why would I do that? I'll keep it. But um, I can rip this open and uh, rip it in this 44.1 16-bit for you if you wanted. And uh, you really got to listen to this. It's fantastic. Um, also, um, another another one of my favorite soundtracks on PS1 is Ridge Racer Type 4. I think I've mentioned this before on here. But wow, through and through, all the way through, what an incredible soundtrack. So 90s. It's so fitting. And it's amazing. Absolutely love it. I just put that thing on loop. I listened to that on uh, YouTube uh, as well. I put, there's a playlist with it. I just put it on, let it go. It's so good. In fact, I was really inspired by some of the songs on that for our Racing Apex, uh, Hot Shot Racing. So uh, yeah, really, really cool. Last thing I'll mention before we say goodbye to everyone. I'm flipping through this, right? And I, and I feel there's like a little spot here. You know, you can feel when there's a little weird thing in there. And I open it. Oh, look. Whoever owned this, literally wrote up instructions on how to beat this section of the game. And he or she put this in here. Look at this. I mean, it's, I got to put this down. It's literally two pages. 
page and a half of how to beat that section of the game. How cool. And that's not even the first one. There's another one in here too somewhere. Yeah, look, there's another one. Just like, dude, ah, can we go back? Can we please go back in time when when you didn't have the internet to really like walk you through or hold your hand through that shit? It's so good. I just lost the place where this goes. But yeah, it's so awesome. Isn't that neat? Love it. So Ryan, check out Unreal Tournament. Uh, Unreal, Unreal Tournament 99 Game of the Year Edition is the one that I played. And I think that's the soundtrack you're going to want to look up. Super, super awesome. All right. Oh, my gosh. This has been fun. Great, great gaming talk. Great tech talk. Thanks for the voicemails. I love you all so much. 503-908-5490 is the phone number. Heinehouse.com is the website. Please get at me. Write a podcast review. If you listen to the show and you and you like it and uh, you find enjoyment on it, please just go write a review. Let others know about it. It really helps me grow. And, uh, of course, if you really, really enjoy the show and want to see it continue on forward, y'all know where to go. Patreon.com slash Jason Heine. That's the Patreon. And join in there. And, uh, yeah, show some love. I really appreciate all the supporters here at Gameloft, Main Floor, and Ground Floor. Patrons, thank you so much. And lastly, I want to say to the Gamelofters up there, I am giving all of you the full quality wave uh, versions of the remastered of my first two albums. That's what I mentioned at the beginning of the show. I wanted to tell you uh, all of the game lofters are going to get that. So uh, if you are at all interested, anyone else, if you're interested in that, just uh, let me know and uh, we can work something out. All right. Thank you so much for your support. Appreciate you so much. Tinyhouse.com. I hope you all have an amazing rest of your day and a great week. And we'll see you next week on the next show. Bye now.